This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. There's still just about life in the title race. An excellent win for Arsenal in a breathless game at St James's Park. Keeps just a tiny bit of pressure on Manchester City. No Allardycean miracle at the Etihad, even if Erling had an off day against the city of his birth. That defeat for Newcastle and a David De Gea fluff means there's a tiny window of opportunity for Liverpool or even Brighton to snatch a top four spot. Elsewhere, Frank Lampard wins at just the seventh time of asking and there's another landmark for Harry Kane. And then we get to the good stuff, a completely impartial look back at the fight for survival in League One. On the rare occasion football goes your way, there is nothing like it. We'll do that, the drama in the National League, your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Troy Townsend, welcome. Morning, Max. Hello, Jonathan Wilson. Morning, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushton. Let's start St. James's Park then. Um, Arsenal winning 2-0 at Newcastle. Wilson, you were there. It was it was really good game, I thought. Both keepers making great saves, missed chances, quite a bit of needle. Do you think Arsenal deserved it? I'm not, not really convinced that anybody ever deserves a game. No, they, they they scored two goals. Newcastle didn't score any. It was a really good game. Arsenal played well. Newcastle played well. Uh, Newcastle fans seemed hugely upset by a penalty not being given, or apparently being given rather than then being overturned. Um, but I mean, even the modern handball or doesn't give handball for the ball hitting somebody's thigh. <laughs> I confess that when I saw it in real time in the stadium, I thought it was definitely a penalty. Um, and even the first replay, I didn't realise that it was a thigh. But it clearly was a thigh. So that's VAR actually overturning an understandable mistake and, and getting it right. Eddie Howe said afterwards, and I think he was right, that all the emotion around that, given the way the first, uh, what was the eighth minute of that penalty, the, first, the way the first eight minutes had gone, the fact that Jacob Murphy hit the post, that did sort of interrupt Newcastle's momentum and they, they didn't get a goal off the back of it. And then Odegaard scores, you know, what, 14 minutes? So probably six minutes after the ball hit um, Kivior's thigh, but probably three minutes after the penalty was actually overturned and once that goal had gone in Newcastle weren't ever again quite as good as they had been in that first 10 minutes and I thought Arsenal from that moment onwards having been a little bit lucky to survive actually defended pretty well looked dangerous on the break I thought Odegaard in the first half was was absolutely sensational I thought his little three balls stopped Newcastle pushing as high as they wanted to and that forced them a bit a bit deeper and that meant they didn't control the game in, in quite the same way but equally, Isaac hit the post. They, 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 Ramsey made a couple of really good saves. Newcastle could have got back into it, but also Martinelli hit the bar. So it was, yeah, it was a really, really enjoyable game between two really, really good sides. Arsenal came out on top. It could have gone the other way. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about you know whether a team ever truly deserves it. MK Dons deserved to beat Burton yesterday, but listen, we'll <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. Um, uh, you mentioned Odegaard there, and and as well as his passing, which is brilliant, Troy. He scored. He scored, feels like he scored so many goals like that out of nothing this season, like at, at a time where Arsenal were, were desperate for him to do something. He has been, he's been sensational this season. Yeah, the, the captain, you know, he's perfectly placed, isn't he? He knows where to be at the right times. And, and yesterday's strike, I was questioning it a little bit, first of all. I don't know what you thought, Jonathan, as you were watching the game. But from such a distance, you know, drilled low, I thought Pope should have done better, but then there was a defender right in front, wasn't yeah. there? And I, I had exact, exactly the same thought process. When I saw it live, I was like, oh, how's that gone in? Then you see the replay. I, I think he probably wasn't expecting the shot. Then you know, he was slow to react because there were people in the way. So 
I, I, I'd be below to be too quick loving for it. No, absolutely. I thought it was remarkable that Odegaard had that much space. And when we talk about the Man City game and the strikes from Gundogan, they're very similar to, to Odegaard's strike. Way too much space. Massive for Arteta. I mean, his introduction of Jorginho, I thought, was a masterstroke. You know, he knew there was going to be early pressure. He knew that, you know, Newcastle were going to dominate a lot of the game. Um, and Jorginho is that perfect person that controls the play, that keeps the ball, that is very, you know, is a little bitted player as well, isn't he? He gets in between people. He was clearing headers. He was, you know, making tackles on the edge of the box. And he was calming all of their football down. So between him and Odegaard, I mean, I know there's a bit of banter at the end of the game where he handed over the the, the player of the match to to Georgina, but between him and Odegaard, I thought they were the reasons why Arsenal won this game because they controlled the tempo of the game where normally Arsenal may have gone a little bit all over the place with, with the threat that Newcastle have. But I thought this was probably Arsenal's best performance of the season. Um, uh, uh, Jamie Carragher on Monday night said the Everton and Leicester game was the best game that he'd seen all season. That's probably why he wasn't on this game because this was... Um, the game of the season for me. It just had had a bit, nearly a bit of everything in it. And again, I hear what Jonathan's saying, you know, anyone could have won it, but ultimately Arsenal did do it. And the second goal, I thought, kind of showed the quality of their side while showed some of the kind of areas where Newcastle need to improve, that's for sure. Barry, did you have it as, as game of the season, uh, performance of the season for Arsenal, or are you not quite as sensationalist as Troy this morning? <laughs> Um, no, I really enjoyed it. It was a great game. Uh, I thought Arsenal were worthy winners, but you know, if that Jacob Murphy shot had gone in instead of hitting the post early doors, who knows? Um, because Newcastle really did tear into to Arsenal in the opening ten minutes. You know, these Newcastle players are they're playing obviously to, to try and qualify for the Champions League, and they're playing to try and be in the squad that might be in the Champions League, almost certainly will be in the Champions League because Eddie Howe, will, I presume, will go shopping in the summer and there's some of these players who I think are playing above themselves. Like Jacob Murphy are, is one. Certainly, I, I thought, you know, he'll be gone in the summer, but recent performances, he's been outstanding and he probably knows himself that there's a very good chance someone better than him will be brought in in the summer. So he has to, to play out of his skin week in, week out. Ball keepers made a lot of good saves. Nick Pope had to make more. Arsenal seem to be playing just with a freedom that they haven't had necessarily in recent weeks. It's almost as if they're resigned, right, we're not going to win the title. We might. So we just put ourselves in a position to to um, capitalise if... Manchester City slip up but yeah they kind of seem resigned we're going to come second that's that's not the end of the world but I, I think that is the key point isn't it that you know imagine something weird happens yeah but that did, did you know who the last manager to take to, to stop City winning a game at the Etihad was um Harry Redknapp oh weirdly close I mean literally, literally related to him Frank Lampard Frank Lampard, no. correct. Yeah, so I'd just given, I'd given, I'd given Man City like ten years of, of straight victories there. <laughs> no, but anyway, carry on. But you went, you went for the nearest thing to Redknapp in a modern game, so yeah, um, you, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you'd seen the familiar link. So I mean, just say something weird does happen in that game and City drop points. Arsenal would never be able to forgive themselves if 
they sort of switched off and just sort of let the season drift now. I, I, I still don't think the fact they've won this game exonerates them from a charge of choking. I think those three draws in a row, there, there was a a, a, a a mental failing there. There was a... Yeah, they 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 got they got blocked with themselves in all three of those games at various points. But far worse would have been to let it drift. If they can keep winning now and just make sure that if City do slip up, they 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 haven't let them off the hook. If they if they make City win the game, that's all they can do. And so I, I think, I mean, you never know, but I, I suspect winning that game yesterday probably will will be good for them in the long run. That that they've they they haven't just collapsed. That they have kept going. Um, and that that's at, at least it was a danger if they did fall away, which which would have been totally understandable. They're in the top four, which is always their goal. They're probably not going to win the title. If Mines had drifted, you could have understood it. But if they can finish with another three wins, well, at least the season ends on the positive. And they think, well, we got you know, 80, 8, 89, whatever, however many points it would be. That's a good season. Whereas if it had been 82 points, they probably would have thought, ah, yeah, we've we've sort of let that go, and, and maybe maybe that beginning of the season was a bit illusory. Mikel Arteta showed the Arsenal players a clip uh, from the All or Nothing documentary where they lost at Newcastle last year. He said we had to feel it. It wasn't enough just to talk about it, not just the players but the staff as well. That feeling that we didn't do enough that day. The word was pain, and then the desire for revenge. When you have question marks, you have to resolve them. When you have the emotions we had last year, you have to feel them again, realise how nasty they are and approach the game differently. And obviously, Barry, we've never done a bad pod. But if we had, do you think we should play it back to ourselves before an important <laughs> pod to, <laughs> just to, for us to really deliver <laughs> this time? It's a lot to choose from. I think we've churned out a few dods in our time. Um, <laughs> I, I must confess, I expected Arsenal to get beaten yesterday. I, I thought just they might be a bit overwhelmed by the occasion St James's Park obviously is a different proposition this season uh, to what it was before the, the new owners came in but listening to Giorgino's interview after the game he, he clearly had a ball he loved it and you know he said if if you're going to be intimidated or cowed playing in a febrile atmosphere like this where almost everyone is against you, then football's not the game for you. And uh, I think that showed in their performance. They were just hugely impressive. I mean, Newcastle were impressive too. And maybe if anyone, the occasion and the atmosphere got to them rather than Arsenal. Mm. Pete says, given the way Newcastle players, fans were moaning about Arsenal time-wasting, what's the most hypocritical thing you've ever done? <laughs> <laughs> I look, everybody does it. That doesn't, you know, Newcastle do do it a lot, but lots of other teams do. The- but, 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 but I actually think it's got a lot worse this season. And, I, I, and, and that's not, not specifically about Newcastle. It's, it's a general league thing. I think Newcastle were almost reveling in it earlier in the season as well. That yeah, all these stories about Eddie Howe going off to to learn at the knee of Diego Simeone. It's a widespread thing this season, and it's it's not healthy and it's not good. And you know the the, the Premier League and referees have to work out in the summer how they're going to going to stop it happening. Yeah, because they did work it out in the World Cup, didn't they? In a weird way. I mean, I don't know about you, but when it was like twelve minutes, I was like, well, I'm just not used to this, so it's ridiculous. But that's what you'd have to do, right? Isn't it? Yeah, I mean the the problem the problem is. Uh, is TV companies. The TV companies like to know when their ad breaks are going to be. They like to know when they're, as you know. I mean, I know you work for some streaming service that has no deadlines, but... Mm. Um, it's great. If, if the games are rubbish, we can just go, they weren't very good. See you next time. 
It's really good. But but you know, it's it, it, TV companies need to know that they're coming off air at seven o'clock or whatever time. And if a game's going on at a quarter past seven, it's it's not ideal. People want to get trains home. I can't imagine the head of football at Sky is talking to the PGMOL about injury time. I just can't imagine that conversation is ever. I might be naive here. I, I'd sort of been slightly sceptical of that, but then all the nonsense over the BBC and the hundreds that no, we need we need to get this game done within whatever time frame it is. So we can't have that extra uh, twenty balls in each innings. I mean, maybe that maybe that is an issue, but. But yeah, something. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's a classic empty columnist thing to say, but something must be done. Right. Um, Charlie says, "I know you love ref chat. Should Newcastle have been allowed to get away with so much casual violence? Should they be embarrassed that they've sold their souls to play like that?" I don't know if I don't know if City are. You know, there's a lot of talk about tactical fouling. I know Manchester City do it. Lots of teams do it. Again, I don't know if I don't know if this there is a you know there is obviously a, a, a lot a strong feeling about Newcastle because nobody likes teams who are good and also people don't like the ownership that these kind of messages come in but quite a lot of people talking about sort of how much fouling Newcastle do Barry I don't know if that's something that you've seen specific to them or not really I don't think it's specific to them and I'm slightly surprised I I the only thing I noticed that stood out was there was a particularly nasty foul on Bukayo Saka by somebody who stepped on his... Uh, Billy Gamaris, I think. Yeah, uh, stepped on his Achilles. And that that was a nasty, nasty challenge, which I think should have been punished more severely. There was also a challenge by, I think, was it Cher when Gabriel Jesus sort of came in with his arm very high? And it sort of, Jesus ended up going down clutching his shoulder, but I think he was lucky he hit his shoulder. He started hit his face, I think, it would have been, which he could easily have done. So, yeah, but I've been, look, I I don't think that's, again, I don't think that's necessarily a Newcastle problem. They were two instances I thought, yeah, I'm I'm not, that doesn't feel good seeing that. I just wonder, you know, this sort of, the the sort of let it flow directive. um, Was that last summer or the summer before? Whatever it was. And I think broadly speaking, it's a, it's a good thing. I just wonder if it's, it's flowing slightly too much, whether we need to start seeing a, a few more yellow cards and things just to calm everything down again. What's the, what's the opposite of let it flow? Damn it up. Yeah. Um, get some beavers build a build a refereeing dam <laughs> give as many free kicks as you can let's go to the Etihad Manchester City 2 Leeds United 1 Troy Big Sam didn't quite have the desired effect he was just already hoping he'd get something probably lucky to get away with a 2-1 defeat against the City side that made seven changes with one eye on Real Madrid the scoreline looks good for Big Sam to be honest um, it, it's this game, I was at the Spurs Palace game, but we were keeping an eye on the games. And this game, at one point, we were seeing over 800 passes for, or I think that's the end stat, 800 passes for Manchester City and and 100 and uh, high hundreds for for Leeds United. So it probably showed how they approached the game. I, I'm not surprised, Pep. Not just the penalty, but I'm not surprised Pep might not be a little bit disappointed in in the scoreline because it was truly one way traffic. And after the goals uh, that Gundogan got, I, I would have thought that he would like to have rested a few more in this game as well, knowing the big week he's got coming up. But yeah, it was as it was a simple up until the point that obviously Gundogan missed the penalty, um, as it could have been for Man City. Probably the perfect afternoon, and then it went into a little bit of mayhem. Um, Haaland not on not on track to, on on Saturday. You know, I think he had five or six really good chances. 
didn't put them away, but we we shouldn't question that at all, did should we really, with the goals that he's got? But definitely, no, I, I think Mahrez. we need to bring in a proper striker. They need to bring in a true goal scorer. <laughs> well, I, I, I said this to Barry on the radio yesterday. That we should question the fact that he missed that chance that was set up by. Gundogan with the outside of his right foot to Kevin De Bruyne's back heel, which would have been such a brilliant oh, goal. Yeah. And you know, you don't have it would have been know, a great goal. It doesn't go on YouTube reels packages or whatever now because <laughs> he missed it. So we can be annoyed with him for that. What did what Wilson? What did Big Sam do? He dropped Mez- Melier and he brought in Robles, who was in goal for Wigan when they beat Man City in the FA Cup, which feels about a hundred years ago to me. And he played quite well, Joel Robles. But what what did Big Sam do apart from that? They 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 were fairly compact. They played fairly deep. They 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 yeah. Bamford was very isolated early on, which I think didn't necessarily help them. That that Bamford kept on having to chase balls, and even if he got them, he was surrounded by by four City players. What was he meant to do? Second half, I thought they were much better, but maybe that was a yeah because of City dropping off, you know, easing off rather than because of of Leeds necessarily playing better. I th- I, th- I think I mean I think the key thing is they've got through that game. I, I think they could easily have been four or five and down at half time, but they got through that game with only a one goal defeat. And given how important goal difference could be, that is a positive. And it's given him a chance to see them under pressure. Given the way they did tighten up in the second half defensively, I, I think you, if you're looking for positives, you can say this is a team that's, that's leaked, I, I, however many goals it's leaked, but a lot of goals since, since so well, certainly since the Palace game. Uh, so that's, that's a, a positive. And they were never really likely to take anything from that game, you know. You know, only only the very greatest managers, as we were saying, like Frank Lampard, can take points at the Etihad. So, yeah, they've they've now got three games in which they probably need to get six points. Um, and I think you could probably say in that second half performance, so they may be more likely to do that than you would have said a week ago. Yeah, they've let in 69 goals, most in the league. They've got Barry Newcastle at home, West Ham away, Spurs at home. They were pretty much the only side right at the bottom to play at the weekend because of the games that are this afternoon and tonight. So can you see two victories from Newcastle at Elland Road, West Ham at London Stadium and then Spurs at Elland Road? I could see them getting four points. I could see them beating West Ham, uh, who I suspect will may have their minds on other things uh, and are more or less safe. Um, what, did you say Tottenham? Yeah, they've got Newcastle at home next and then Tottenham at home on the last day. Yeah, I'd love to see them winning that. Absolutely. Uh, depending on which Tottenham turn up. I mean, I, I wasn't impressed with Leeds here. I, it's going to sound churlish to be critical of a team losing against Man City, but a, a team that's, you know, struggling. But just the way the chips fell for them, I thought they could have done better, you know, there were seven changes for Pep. It was a below-strength City side insofar as City can put out a below-strength side. Grealish, Rodri, Stones, Walker, Bernardo Silva all on the bench. And Erling Haaland just had a horrible day at the office. He, he missed so many chances you would expect him to score. I think five, four or five really good chances. He hit the post, missed, had that air shot. City missed the penalty, and I, given the circumstances that Leeds found themselves in, I thought they probably they could have done better. I, I think there was a point there to be taken if they'd been slightly less passive, but they they didn't get it. I thought I thought the two goals were interesting because you could tell. I thought you could tell Sam's influence by making sure that he got all these players in the box 
But what they did forget was obviously that City are, are smart and cute enough to not have to play in the box. And so when the balls by Mares were, were pulled back to, to Gundogan, there was no one around him. And that's why I liken uh, Odegaard, Odegaard's goal to the, to the very similar thing, because Newcastle failed to give up a danger man right on the edge of the box. And Leeds did it twice and, and didn't learn from the lesson. But when you counted how many players that they had back, they literally had the whole of their team just in their box, but no one doing anything quite significant. So I think that's one thing that Sam will definitely pick up on. Lads, when you get in the box, can you do something? Can you at least go and stand next to a player? Um, and I think that's what that massively let them down. And I think that'll be one of the things that he'll be working on when they do play um, you know, those three big games. The best use of danger man in football uh, comes, of course, from Dream Team where at half-time, Harchester United were losing to Charlton and the manager yelled at the team, I told you, Johnny Robinson, danger man. Clive Mendonca, danger man. I mean, hopefully one person listening remembers that. So look, City have got Everton away, Chelsea at home, Brighton away, Brentford away, which it's not, it's not totally straightforward, Wilson, is it? I mean, it should be for City, but like all those teams, well, okay, Brentford aside... And Chelsea, okay. Hmm. <laughs> and Brighton. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't look, it doesn't, I don't guarantee them 12 points there. Arsenal will while Brighton at home, Forest away, Wolves at home. I, I would see them winning those last two so easily. Brighton could have a huge say on the outcome at both ends of the table. I, I, th- I, I said this at the time, but I think yeah, City should have played Brighton. City was scheduled to play Brighton the day of the FA Cup semi-finals that weekend and had they played them then when the title race felt more live when Brighton maybe still had a chance of top four I think that would have been a much tougher time to play them Brighton's is Brighton's last home game of the season it's because it's, it's that penultimate it's, it's, it's that last week of the season it's a midweek before the final weekend so maybe they, they're desperate to sort of round off a great season but that's not as big a motivation as getting them in the top four and Brighton was so, playing so well going into those FA Cup semis you think if they had played them that weekend, that that really was a, um, and then City I think was starting to look weary because they'd had Champions League games. It, whereas it turned out City could play a you know a half team against uh, Sheffield United, and they were able to recuperate and, and go again. If that had been an away game at Brighton, I think that might have been a, a, a really hard test. So they, they've been slightly fortunate the way that's fallen. Listen, uh, massive plug for Everton here. Um, they play them in between the two Real Madrid games away from home, and it's been typical. Typically quite difficult uh, at Goodison Park for Man City. Um, that will be a very interesting one to see how he approaches that, you know, depending on the result that they get against Real Madrid in the first leg. But that could be quite a difficult one. Um, it might not month, be, Troy. Month, it, <laughs> I want you to remember my words here, yeah? That's what no, I want you to do. I, you might be right. I was being flippant. I think you, you might be right. It's, oh, it's fascinating I, I, to I, I think... Jonathan is possibly writing off Brighton's chances of a top four finish a bit prematurely. They have two games in hand Possibly. over United, three in hand over Liverpool. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the. Um, we're going to go through the top four permutations in just a second. So I will. I, I don't disagree with you, Barry, and we'll talk about that in part two.
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So look, let's round up those teams who could potentially be in with a shot at the top four. Uh, Manchester United have lost two in a row since we've done a pod. They lost that game at Brighton with that very, very late penalty. Not entirely sure what Luke Shaw was doing. Brilliant penalty by Alexis McAllister in the millionth minute of injury time. Then they went to the London Stadium. It's a massive three points for West Ham, who are now on 37 points, seven clear of the relegation zone. Must be safe now. But Barry, I still haven't quite worked out how that side Ben Rama goal went in. He didn't even kick it properly. Yeah, a scoffed shot. I've, I would imagine David Gea has dealt with harder back passes um, and hopefully dealt with them better. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what happened if, if he's didn't launch himself properly. But yeah, it was a shocking goal to give away and he didn't have a good day yesterday. The Mikel Antonio goal that was disallowed, he, he let Antonio bully him, sent a few passes with his feet. You know, a, lot, a few of them were wayward. And I see with interest today that United are discussing giving him a contract extension. Uh, and I'm not sure why. He has been a good servant for them. He's played really well for them at times this season. He makes some tremendous saves, but as... Uh, Jonathan never tires of reminding us he is not really the kind of keeper that Eric Ten Hag wants in an Eric Ten Hag side because his footwork isn't great. And, you know, look, the Ben Rama shot, that was an aberration and, and every goalkeeper makes mistakes like that. But he just seems to be making those mistakes quite often. It's interesting that him and Loris are top of the errors leading to goals in the Premier League this season because they both seem to be on the wane. Mm. I, I think what's interesting, and we've talked about it before, Wilson, but Eric Ten Hag has made has had some big calls to make and he's made the right one pretty much every time so far. And this feels like his next big call. And if he is going to give De Gea an extension, you wonder if that is the wrong call. I don't know. I mean... Um, I think he'll be looking for a new goalkeeper. I think the fact that De Gea is apparently quite happy to take a significant pay cut tells you that he's comfortable in Manchester and that maybe... I mean, De Gea, De Gea must know that he's not ideal for Ten Hag. He must know Ten Hag wants to evolve away from him. So maybe De Gea's getting to the stage of his career where he thinks, you know what, if I end up sitting on the bench at a, you know, in a place where I'm comfortable, a place I like, that's not the worst thing. I would assume that conversation's been had. I mean... If it hasn't, then you know, if, if if De Gea really thinks now I can be the future of a, of a great new Manchester United, then then you know he's he he's been misled. But we're seeing the sort of slow winding down of De Gea's career, and and I think from Ten Hag's point of view, if you have a, a keeper who is as good as De Gea can be as your backup as, as somebody you're in training, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world at all. I think I think getting a reserve keeper is difficult. So as long as De Gea is aware that that there is presumably a movement to bring somebody in above him. I don't think that's particularly problematic. What else are you going to do? Go back to La Liga and play for, I don't know, like Sevilla or something like that? He's not good enough for Barcelona or Real Madrid, is he? So, But also, also, isn't he leading the race for the Golden Glove? Shall we balance this argument out that he's absolute, uh, the, the top shot stopper at the moment? Does that come into the equation at all or not? I mean, it was a horrendous mistake yesterday. Of course it was. Are you, are you saying do, do, do us 
making saves is that important for a goalkeeper? I don't. That's yeah, quite well, a good point. <laughs> now you put it like that. Well, he's, he's, he, listen. There's there's a couple of things there. Yeah, he he's keeping he's obviously keeping a number of clean sheets. He's prone to some mistakes, which obviously are quite glaring. And I thought Ten Hag was very was very nice in his um, after match press conference. He he has to be because he has to have him for the rest of the season. There is still a problem with that Manchester United defence right across the board. And I'm not going to blame any defenders for yesterday, but there's a, there's a problem with that defence that doesn't need just the change of goalkeeper. I think it needs some quite significant surgery, if you want me to be honest. I I, I look at United oh, and think... Troy, everyone, we want you everyone, to be totally honest. Be honest, be honest yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think people got carried away with United and now Rashford's purple patch appears to have, to have gone or has not been seen for a while. For me, they look a very ordinary side. They look a very ordinary side again. So I'm not surprised by defeats at, at Brighton. I'm not surprised by yesterday. They just look very ordinary. And I think there's a lot to do at that, that team, that club, before they challenge for anything quite significant as the league or a, or a Champions League. And I'm sure Ten Hag knows that as well. Barry, there's a, a sort of, there was a general acceptance, I think, a few months ago, or even a few weeks ago, that David Moyes would move on at the end of the season. But now they're probably safe. And they've got this great chance of winning a trophy, which West Ham do like once every 40 years. Feels like that should be enough for him to, to stay there if he wants to. Yes, the fans wanted him out. I, I don't know if there's a, still a significant portion who may still want him out. But keeping them up, and if, if they can get to the European final, get past Alkmaar get to the final and possibly win it, that would be incredible for West Ham. But I I just, it feels to me like maybe they should part company. He he did make, you know, he thanked the owners yesterday for sticking by him when a lot of people thought he was going to get the bullet. And I, I don't, I, is his contract up in the summer? I mean, he, I think he would get another Premier League job uh, pretty, you know, they will come up next season. Oh God, plenty of them will come up. He he would get one. I, I just feel maybe it's time to, to end that collaboration, but he may well want to stay on and, and it has earned the right to, I suppose. Yeah, signed a three-year deal in June 2021, so has a, a year left. Declan Rice had a very good game, Wilson. Um, where does he go? Like, like, is he so good he has the pick of everyone, or not quite that good that he's got the pick of your tier two Champions League sides? Well, uh, the Arsenal appear to be the favourite to sign him, don't they? And that that seems to make sense to me that he's he's probably not quite the right type of player for for City. Say he probably should be playing in the Champions League. So that that leaves three. Could he go to Manchester United? Yeah, absolutely. I think he'd fit there fine. But I mean, Arsenal do seem to have an obvious space for him there. I know Xhaka's has had a good season, but you're always slightly worried with Xhaka that something's going to go awry. You know, he can come in and play alongside either Jorginho or Party or Xhaka for that matter. But it's it's an area where I think Arsenal need to add a body. And I think he is probably better in that deep line midfield role than anything they've got. So so, so, so that does does seem to make sense. Equally united, I think, when either Casemiro or Eriksen have been out, or both of them, they're, they're clearly short in that area, so that would seem to make a certain sense as well. Um, I don't know, is, is there any other English club who, who sort of, I mean, Tottenham obviously need 
11 new players, but or 10 new players, depending <laughs> if, if Kane stays or not. I think I think West Ham to Tottenham is a difficult move, isn't it? If you've got the choice of other ones. It's it's like, and it's also like, you know, it's not Champions League. It's not, I mean, it, 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 it probably is a step up, but it's not really obvious step up. Can I just mention, sorry, Please did do. Jonathan say that West Ham to Spurs is not a step up? Did he really say that when Spurs are sixth <laughs> and West Ham are sixth from bottom or seventh from bottom, one of the two? I mean, to an extent, I, 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 was, uh, I was casting with my rod to see if he'd bite, and you have. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, I, I said it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not such an obvious step up as West Ham to Manchester United or to Arsenal. You're not, you're not getting Champions League football, are you? You're getting one of the other minor European competitions again. Let's quickly do Liverpool to beat Brentford. Not a massive amount to say about this game, Barry, but interesting to speculate on the top four. Six wins in a row for Liverpool. Mo Salah's 30th of the season in all competitions, which took me by surprise. A couple of fun misses from Gakpo and Nunes. Uh, the Nunes one from a great Trent Alexander-Arnold pass. Do you? Th- I mean, you feel with Gakpo and Nunes that, that they will come good? Or do you think they may both go full Timo Werner? No, I, I would certainly give them every chance of coming good. Uh... I think Gakpo is a fine player. Um, haven't seen him with uh, it was PSV a couple of games against Arsenal or one anywhere in particular. He was just sensationally good. And as Liverpool, a sort of my outlandish prediction at the start of the season was that they would struggle to make the top four. They are struggling to make the top four, but there's still a decent chance they will make the top four. Not least because of Manchester United's. Um, wobble and the fact that Newcastle lost yesterday. I, I also give Brighton a chance of making the top four. But yeah, if if uh, Manchester United Devin Lockett as this you know showing indications of doing, then somebody is going to have to take advantage, and that will be probably Liverpool and possibly Brighton. Uh, yeah, Liverpool fans booed the national anthem uh, on Coronation Day as we expected them to do. So Jurgen Klopp said after the match, it was clear something like this would happen. Everybody knew it. That's fine. Nothing else happened. There were no chance. Thank God we have the freedom of free speech and freedom of opinion, um, uh, which is something that I, I think we all agree with. I, uh, um, I, don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. None of you, none of you. Troy is not in a massive Union Jack outfit with his own crown on. So, but you know, <laughs> each to their own. Whatever makes you happy. Uh, but Bar- Barry is though, which I didn't. Expect. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's weird, I did, weird. I didn't mention it, especially at that exact, exact, exact moment. Right. So those defeats for Manchester United and Newcastle have perhaps opened the door, and perhaps I'm trying to create more in- in excitement than there is. Newcastle on 65 points. Man United on 63. Liverpool have played a game more on 62. Tottenham are sixth, but we can ignore them. Uh, Brighton have 55 points, but from 32 games. So Newcastle probably need two wins from Leeds away, Brighton at home, Leicester at home, Chelsea away. Do they get them, Wilson? Yeah, that, that certainly sounds quite tricky when you read them off like that. But I mean, yeah, they they should. They should. I, I sort of feel like yeah, Chelsea now feel a bit like a loose horse in the Grand National. That like Their, their chance of winning anything is gone, <laughs> but they can cause chaos. Yeah. Because I, I just don't think you can predict what they're going to do. They're, they're sort of absolutely all over the place. They've got not, yeah, absolutely nothing to play for. Like pride is gone, self-respect is gone, <laughs> dignity is gone, any chance of qualifying for anything is gone. But they are still lots. Not even they are still lots of good football. Not so. even playing for pride is yeah. amazing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, meanwhile, Manchester United have got as good as a beach tour as you could possibly hope for. Troy Wolves at home, Bournemouth away, Chelsea at home, the loose horse, and Fulham at home. So they probably need two wins as well. 
and you feel like yeah, they get if those. they Devon lock it to continue the horse analogies, <laughs> if they don't get it, that is ex- that is extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, I mean they're not as as bad as what I probably mentioned earlier. So I'd think they'll they'll probably win the first two, um, decide whether they want to beat Chelsea or not, and then finish off and, and and beat Fulham. So I think it's yeah, it's in their hands as long as they can start um, getting goals again out of Marcus Rashford. It's worth pointing out uh, that Devin Locke was actually winning the Grand National when he stumbled <laughs> over his own shadow and uh, not, not coming third. 56, Barry, was it? So, I mean, it's just good that we're doing 67-year-old horse racing analogies. But, uh... How do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> <laughs> 1956, it was. Um, Liverpool, Leicester away, Villa home, Southampton away. So you could give them nine points quite easily. Um, and then Brighton, Everton at home this afternoon, uh, Arsenal away, Newcastle away, Southampton at home, Man City at home, Villa away. So some tough games and also a lot of games, Troy. So like, like they could do it, but like so many, so many games for them, they must be tired. You look at the games in hand and you think, of course they can go and breach the, or get into the top four. Then you've read out, United and Newcastle and you think yeah we know where they're getting their points from and I, I yeah I think it's just too many games at the end of the season but yeah I think it's probably too many games for them it, listen it's been an exceptional season um, they deserve so much credit for not only the football but you know the victories and going another level um, after Grand Potter left and deserve deserves such a, a amazing amount of credit for what he's done but I think they may just flag out at the end, yeah. Um, and with the games that Newcastle United have in hand, uh, not in hand, sorry, but have to play, I'll say that they will probably claim the top four places. Johan says, as a fan of a predominantly useless team that rarely warrants a mention on the pod, could we please hear a few words on how great Chelsea were before the inevitable Bournemouth inquest? Um, so, yeah, and we mentioned the, their first win. Frank is back. Give him an eight-year contract. I mean, I was torn. I was torn, Wilson, between wanting Chelsea to lose every game because it's funny and starting to feel sorry for Frank Lampard because it was all so bleak. Yeah, I, I sort of. Um, no, I, I, I've always been clear. I do not think Frank Lampard is a good football manager, but, and I still don't. Um, but I, I had sort of started to feel a bit uncomfortable about the sort of reveling in his failure. I, it's the worst thing, I think, for, for I guess, anybody in anything. But when people start to pity you, and I was starting to pity Frank Lampard. I mean, I remember when, when Josie Altidore was at Sunderland and he, he was terrible, like, just terrible. There was a game at Palace when he came on with 20 minutes to go. And I remember going home from a game thinking, I don't remember anything Josie Altidore did in that 20 minutes. And I, I checked to see if he even touched the ball. Five touches, five passes attempted, no passes completed. That was his summer involvement. He did nothing of any use whatsoever. And, and there was this sort of backlash from, from the US sort of saying, oh, yeah, why have people turned on him? And so, and some of the fans, I think, themselves felt a bit kind of like, we can't, there's no point criticizing him anymore. He's clearly trying. And so you then got the opposite, which is terribly patronizing every time he kind of controlled the ball. Like the stadium kind of gave him a standing ovation, and that was it. Oh, that was worse. <laughs> and then there was a game at, uh, away at Fulham when he did a ticker tape yeah. parade, yeah. open top bus. Josie Altidore's controlled it. We're doing yeah. it now. He, he did. He did the world's slowest step over, and somehow the the the, the lack of pace on the step over. I mean, literally, the Eiffel Tower could have done a step over quicker than him. 
And he somehow got got tripped to give Son the penalty, which they then scored. And people were singing Josie Altidore's name. So all that's happened is, Vader, <laughs> hang on, I've kicked you. That, that's all that's happened. And it's like you've just scored a hat-trick in the, in the, in the cup final. And I sort of felt like Frank Lampard was, was heading down that route. That he's got to win at Bournemouth. Let's give him a CBE. Let's, you know, let's, uh, let, let's, let's close the Fulham Road and let's, let's let him parade down it in triumph. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's not a good football manager. It's irrelevant in terms of both team seasons, except I guess Chelsea probably should now finish above Bournemouth, which has never not happened before. He'll be gone at the end of the season and, and I, I imagine Chelsea will go on being a mess for, for, for some time to come. Mm. And Gary O'Neill will still be at Bournemouth because he's done an absolutely done a brilliant, brilliant job. Brilliant job, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable job. And, and uh, you know, at 1-1, it was pretty tight. Watara missed that header, definitely could have won that game, Bournemouth. And I, I wonder, Barry, that, you know, I think I was chatting to Lars on the radio or on this pod, I can't remember, that the Gary O'Neill story has sort of not been quite as valued just because of the amount of just complete nonsense that has been happening in the Premier League, that quite a sort of sort of trudgy man just doing a really good job isn't a headline. Yeah, he's just going about his business diligently. He deals with setbacks well. His in-game management seems to be pretty good. Um, and he, he has done a remarkable job in a season where, I mean, I think, you know, he, he got the, the job as caretaker and did well, and then he got it full time and it all started going wrong and he's done very well to turn it around and Bournemouth are safe with for four, they were safe with four games to go and that's, don't think anyone saw that coming. Like when you consider that um, Scott Parker more or less talked himself out of a job by saying this squad is useless and there's no chance of them staying up. Uh, O'Neill has done a, a very good job and he's, you know, obviously not as big a name as Lampard. There isn't as much media attention on him. He Lampard seems to get overpraised for not being very good, and O'Neill seems to be getting underpraised for being a, a much better manager than than Lampard is. Uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Spurs beat Palace one nil. Harry Kane now second in the all-time Premier League scorers list. He's on two hundred nine, one above Wayne Rooney on two hundred eight. It is worth remembering that football didn't begin in nineteen ninety two. Here are the goal scorers who are ahead of Harry Kane in top flight football. Jimmy Greaves, Steve Bloomer, Dixie Dean, Gordon Hodgson, Alan Shearer, Charlie Bucken, David Jack, Nat Lofthouse, Joe Bradford, Huey Gallagher, Joe Smith, George Brown, George Campbell, Ian Rush, David Hurd, Harry Hampton, Billy Walker, Tony Cotty, David Halliday, Jeff Hurst. And then comes Harry Kane. If you want to know about who those footballers are, read a book written by Jonathan Wilson. I, I presume, I did notice that Dixie Dean and David Halliday they did play for Sunderland. We don't have a lot of time, but uh, Jonathan, he he uh, still holds the record for most goals in a single season. Yeah. Just but those two goal to game ratios uh, are in sort of 0.8, and no one else is above uh, 0.7. So there you two. Anyway, um, uh, Harry Kane also the first player to score ten headed goals in a Premier League season. Who held the record with nine? Niall Quinn. No, but you know it is a big man. Crouch. No. Not that tall, but I would say not bigger. <laughs> I would say Les Ferdinand. Not Les, bigger than Les. That he is known as big, and it's not Sam Allardyce. Duncan, Duncan Ferguson. Ferguson. Duncan Ferguson. There we go. Um, 
uh, anyway, you were there, Troy. It's not a lot to say about this game apart from, you know, Harry Kane sets up the goal, scores the goal. It's vintage Harry Kane. What happens if he goes? I've got to, listen, I've got to read my notes. Kane to Poro. Poro, Kane header. Ward got under the ball. Why is Ward not touch tight to Kane? Nothing much between the two teams. Zahar well dealt with by Poro and Emerson Royal. Um, surprised Palace didn't swap him with Ayu. Palace dangerous up until the edge of the box, but had no real penetra- penetration. But they were in it until the end. It was a sim- It was as, as basic as that. I thought Palace did well. Um, the difference between the two teams is, is Spurs' is number 10, who um, found space to deliver a, a, a sensational ball out to Poro. Strolled into the box, and this is why I can't understand why no one realises that he's a massive threat. And, and Ward... You know, knows where he is. He's got him in his eye line, but doesn't treat him as a danger. And the ball goes over Ward's head and and Kane nods it home. Um, I'm of the belief that he stays at Spurs. I'm not sure why, but I'm of the belief that he stays. Um, Again, I think the places that he goes are very limited. I heard on Saturday that someone's talking up the move to Man United, not Man United, desperately. Um, but they need to create a wave of, of story around Harry. And, and that wave of story will be that, you know, he, he wouldn't go to a Real Madrid or a Barcelona. Those moves finished years ago. Um, and who could buy him, um, you know, in, in English football? And after the, the Man City, you know, comedy show, it is only Manchester United and they probably need him more than anything else. But will they stretch that far? And Daniel Levy is not a great person to try and, you know, do a transfer with. So I, I'm questioning where he can go. People have said Bayern Munich. Tuchel's not having a great time at the start there either, is he? So does he finish off and does he, like, try and set his career at Spurs and try and get them over the line somewhere? It's a big job for anybody, but he's still the standout player. He's still the one that is the biggest threat and he's still the one that, that galvanises this team to get over the line. Um, I must mention, and and, and I, it, it'd be remiss of me not to mention the racial abuse that Son got as he as he came off. Uh, and I I can't understand this. I can't understand this rule, this protocol that tells players that you have to go off at the nearest point, which then subjects you to going round past the away fans, home fans, whoever it may be. And at this point that Son's walking around, someone actually said it to me, I'm not sure that's the best thing for him to walk in front of those Crystal Palace fans. But the best thing was just clearly on the the uh, the screen is that you can see a, a Crystal Palace fan who's being very abusive and then trying to widen his eyes with his fingers and, and make some other mockery um, comment as well. It's just, we've got to think better than that. I mean, I saw the Arsenal players who maybe should have gone off at the other end yesterday and yet they, they made sure that they went straight down, you know, to, to, to the right side and, and, you know, get acknowledged by the substitution. So I, I think it's something that needs to be reviewed because why should we be subjecting the players to that? I think it's a really interesting point you made. It's a rule that was made to speed up the game. On paper, it makes sense. But obviously, when you think about it, this is clearly a problem. And it goes back to what we were talking about, about injury time, is referees just need to add on the time. And then the time is added on and and then we we get away from this situation, depressing as it is. Crystal Palace said, look, we're aware of video circulating online, as well as reports made directly to us regarding an individual in the away end at Spurs yesterday, appearing to make racist gestures towards Hume Min Sun. Evidence has been shared with the police. When he is identified, he'll face a club ban. We will not tolerate such behaviour. In our club. Uh, one more game in the Premier League, which was Wolves' win over Aston Villa. It wasn't that fascinating. We don't have time to talk about it. 
I yell at me if you want to. Uh, on tomorrow's pod, we'll uh, look at Fulham, Leicester, Brighton, Everton and Forest, Southampton. And that'll do for part two. Part three, we will do a very short amount of time on Cambridge's survival in League One. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, we're doing a full look at the Championship and the rest of the EFL on tomorrow's pod. It's the last day of the Championship and League Two today. A request from producer Joel Barry. Um, he says, a word on how Max was to work with on Sunday. Um, we were doing a radio show which was on at exactly the same time as the denouement of League One. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, you were thoroughly unprofessional, uh, rude to our guests. Yeah, you didn't listen to a word our Formula One correspondent said, abdicated all responsibilities for that interview to me. I was happy to take it on because I knew you were stressed out. We had a Nottingham Forest podcaster on who you um, rudely interrupted with a goal celebration. So, um, yeah, Cambridge needed to win and they needed MK Dons and Morecambe to not win. And uh, miraculously, that's what happened. And... I said at the start of the show I would take no pleasure in seeing you suffer uh, a Cambridge United relegation, but I'll be honest, by the end of it, I was praying for an MK Dons goal because that would have ruined your day. Uh, I, don't, and then just, I don't blame Justin you. Justin Morehouse came on the show and, and said that MK Dons had just scored. And, uh, yeah, that was you, you didn't find that one bit funny. But it was quite interesting because you were watching the Cambridge game and I could see the MK Dons Burton, uh, game. Burton. Burton, Burton game, game on the screen but I wasn't sure which like they were just showing highlight and I wasn't sure which team was which but then I noticed that uh, one of the goalkeepers was up for a corner it was That's clearly right. MK Dons because Burton wouldn't be trying that hard they didn't need a result <laughs> And MK Dons absolutely peppered the Burton goal and had two cleared yeah. off the line in added time. Uh, I think Cambridge rode their luck, rode a lifetime's worth of luck yesterday. Well, I think, I because think that, that wasn't the Burton keeper that played on Wednesday against us. I think it might be their reserve keeper. It was man of the match. I mean, if you watch the highlights on YouTube, MK Dons could have been five up at half time. They hit the post. <laughs> the keeper was putting saves out from everywhere. I'm so glad I couldn't see that game. I'd have had a heart attack, honestly. Like, it was, like came because we beat Forest Green quite comfortably. It wasn't what was happening. I was just, and because of superstition, right? I, I had, you know, I had the Cambridge game on. I was actually trying to do a radio show, and then I just had like the BBC website with the scores. So I was looking at Exeter. Morecambe had to beat Exeter. They lost 3-1, even though like 15 minutes of injury time. So when I big that big celebration, it still wasn't over, actually. But Burton, I was just had Burton nil, MK Dons nil, and it just wasn't changing. The minutes were going by. And by about 70 minutes, you start to think, oh, hang on. Because, you know, until 60, <laughs> 70 minutes, it's like, well, they're going to score, aren't they, at some point. But they battered them. And you're right, that goal mile scramble is unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. And it's, it's something weird about football, isn't it? That it can... Like, like in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter if we're in League One or League Two, but just for that moment, just to have that celebration. Daryl said, what moment has given you more joy as a fan, promotion or surviving the drop? And I don't know what you think, Wilson, like Sunderland have done both. Lots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's the same emotion. It's the same thing. It's like, it's like 
everything that's happened in that season, the, the fact you've been, we were hopeless for months. Like we didn't get a point for a month. We started well and we finished the season well, but the middle of the season, we just lost every single week. But that doesn't matter to the, the, the emotion that it creates, which I think every football fan understands. Yeah, I mean, I sort of, people might be able to correct me with this, but apart from the playoff final uh, to get out of League One last season, I'm not sure any of Sunderland's promotion campaigns have been that tense. I, I, I think you know, it's always, I don't think it's ever even gone to the last day. I've, I've tried, I mean, you know, in, in, in 99, Sunderland got 105 points, where I think they won the league by 17 or something. Um, so wow, there was actually, really? you know, from about the march onwards, there was no pressure at all. And it was just sort of this, this very nice sort of procession. 95-6, I think that was wrapped up... Yeah, a couple of games before the end of the season. But you've had lots of playoff fights. You've had lots of playoff. Yeah, we always fights, lose. I mean, apart from, apart from last season, we always lose. Yeah, them. that is true. But but, but no, but the, the the avoiding relegation. So the, I mean, the the game under Allardyce, uh, where suddenly they it happened actually under Poyas as well, where suddenly they they just start winning games they shouldn't be winning, uh, like the winning away at Stamford Bridge uh, under Poyas, um, a game where weirdly. I don't know, you just feel from the start of the game we were going to win it, even though I think we still haven't lost at Stamford Bridge as Chelsea manager at that point. Um, and then went to, went to Old Trafford and won 1-0. Was that, that the season Conor Wickham turned into Pele for the last six games of the season? For about six weeks, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know you don't want to talk about the championship today, but Sunderland are in this really weird position now where they, they could go up by mistake. And I, I feel I've spent 40-odd years of my life being desperate for someone to be promoted and seeing them their hopes dashed at the last by cruel fortune. <laughs> and and now, yeah, this is a really promising, very young team who, if they go up, will be destroyed in the Premier League. And you sort of think, give them a year or two, a couple more experienced players come in, and it actually could be a team that goes up to the Premier League and is competitive. No, not competitive for winning the title, but competitive for you know, maybe being 12th or something. Whereas this side would need a lot of work. And you just sort of think this, there's this, you know, there's this beautiful flower beginning to blossom and I don't want the, the, the great boot of Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Haaland stamping all over <laughs> it and, and so yeah but, but some of them have, have failed to win nine of the last 13 games in which time they've dropped to 12th and climbed back to 7th oh. and it just doesn't make any sense and, and <laughs> there's a, if they win at Preston today and one of um, Coventry and, and uh, Millwall drops points then, then they end up in the, in playoffs. the playoffs. And they could end up going up with 69 points, when in 98, they didn't go up with 90 points. Anyway, there is a, um, there is a good cut down of my existential <laughs> crisis uh, on Twitter that, uh, that TalkSport uh, tweeted out. It's, I mean, you can look at it if you like, but it was uh, agonising, but just truly glorious. And I was so delighted and quite emotional. Max, and Max, talk us through yeah. that Sam Smith goal, please. I've just seen oh, it. It was Van Basten, wasn't it? it I mean, that's his wrong foot as well. Like is it? He's a left. He's left-footed, and then right foot absolutely hammered this volley, looping volley over. It goes in off the post, ridiculous, and it sort of got lost in all the madness. In all the, the madness, madness yeah. Waiting at the end, and like fans <laughs> on their phones waiting for what happened at Burton. Jeff Stelling very kindly gave me four shout-outs during the <laughs> special. Utterly delighted about. He did think I was asleep. He's obviously can't listen to Talksport while he's doing his job. But yeah, it was absolutely glorious. And you know, you live for those moments. That's why we love football. To the National League playoffs, Barry. Both ridiculous. Um, Boreham would two 0 up on Nuts County. Um, Nuts County then equalised in the last minute from a centre back. 
Aiden Baldwin, who scored twice, scored both their goals. He'd never scored for Notts County before. And then scored, scored a winner from Jody Jones, who'd also never scored from Notts County before. A Borehamwood goalkeeper must be feeling sick, though, with that. Yeah, Notts County finished 35 points ahead of Borehamwood in the league, found themselves 2-0 down and turned it around. I mean, they were the better side in that game yesterday and they missed a lot of chances and deserved to win ultimately. But crikey, they left it late and was tight, very tight. And the other game between Chesterfield and Bromley, uh, yeah, another absolute classic game, um, which Chesterfield won by the skin of the teeth. Um, and so, in the end, they uh, Notts County will meet Chesterfield, who finished just beneath them in Wembley, so that's probably fair enough. I think they finished 23 or 24 points ahead of them. Uh, County should go up, but it's a one-off game. You never know, and I think it would best for everyone in the National League if they did go up because it would give everyone else a fighting chance of, you know, sort of level the playing field a bit next season. Yeah, look, Wembley will be, um, there'll be a big crowd for Notts County Chesterfield and that game was also ridiculous and it was it was stopped, there was a medical emergency at half time so there was buckets of injury time then there was a drone in the second half and all the players had to go <laughs> off and and uh, yeah, and then Bromley had a man sent off. And so there were 10 men and then suddenly equalised in the 99th minute and then lost in extra time. Whole thing. It's worth digging out the highlights of both games, actually. Um, anyway, that'll do for today's pod. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with an EFL special. Then we're doing the Champions League Wednesday and Thursday. We'll also wrap up Monday's Premier League action tomorrow as well. But for the time being, uh, thank you, Troy. Thanks, Max. Thank you, Wilson. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. And I forgot to say, I'm delighted for Mark Bonner, the Cambridge manager, and the club that stuck with him because a lot of people would have sacked him and they didn't. And he's a marvellous manager and I'm very happy. Thank you. Goodbye. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. Back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs> 